Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Richard Polsky, author of the two well-known books on Andy Warhol and the art market, I Bought Andy Warhol and I Sold Andy Warhol Too Soon, and now founder of Polsky's Andy Warhol Art Authentication Service, a company devoted solely to authenticating the work of Andy Warhol. Richard, it's great to have you back on. I was just reminiscing, actually, about the fact that you were the first guest ever on this podcast back in the day, so it's, gr- it's been a few years. It's great to chat with you. How have you been? I've been fine, Adam. Thanks for having me on your show. I, I really appreciate it. The Warhol Authentication Board, which is no longer open, was operated by the Warhol Foundation. Before we get into your new venture, tell us a little bit about the role it played in the art world when it was in existence and the value its existence brought to collectors in the art market in general. Well, if you go back in time, um, when Andy Warhol died in 1987, uh, he left behind a tremendous body of work not just the work that existed out in the world, but the estate itself was filled with, I was told, four or 5,000 paintings plus thousands more prints, drawings, sculptures, photographs, went on and on. And as you probably know, and as your audience knows, because of Warhol's photo silkscreen technique, essentially using a commercial process to make fine art, he produced an awful lot of work. And if you go back even further to the 60s and the heyday of his factory, there was a lot of confusion and a lot of, um, you know, how do I put it? There was a lot of messiness. It wasn't always clear what was what. And by that I mean, there were a lot of paintings that, let's say, left the studio that probably shouldn't have left the studio. All sorts of things went on. Um, I know for a fact that Andy might be working on a series of paintings. He'd screen some images onto unstretched canvas. Um, he wasn't happy with them. He'd toss them in the trash, and somebody would fish him out and say, Andy, you know, I like this. Can I have it? And he'd say, yeah, sure, take it. And then it'd be like, well, Andy, would you sign it for me? Sure, I'll sign it. And, you know, a lot of things that never were meant to see the light of day never that never should have left the studio, did. Warhol gave away gifts, things were stolen, paintings were unfinished that somehow wound up in the world. Sometimes he'd edit a painting by taking an X-Acto knife and, let's say, slicing a row of images off it to make a tighter composition. Even some of these images, they look like photo booth photos, only their paintings left the studio. And it doesn't mean that they weren't real Warhols. They were. He actually created them. But authenticity always comes down to what was the artist's intent? What did he want to see happen? That's what authenticity is. And Warhol, you know, he's him and Picasso, you could say the two most valuable artists at auction. Looking at things from an art market perspective, how important was the authentication board um, in terms of making Warhol transactions smoother? What had happened was, after Andy died, um, Fred Hughes, who was Warhol's highly esteemed business manager, pretty much took over the thankless task of authenticating paintings. I believe he was joined by Vincent Fremont, who had worked for Warhol for quite a number of years and was very trusted by him. So these two guys are handling you know, the daily requests of people saying, well, wait a minute. Andy's gone. I've got this painting. It was in the closet. Or I've had it forever, but he never signed it or never, you know, 
had this done or that done, you know, it was never in a show, you know, but it's real. What do I do? And to the best of their abilities, Fremont and um, Fred Hughes looked at paintings and made that determination as to whether they were genuine. It soon became obvious that it, it would require a whole committee. They just didn't have time to deal with this. There were too many other things going on. So they assembled a committee of people who were very knowledgeable in Andy's work. I believe the original committee contained uh, Jed Johnson, who was Warhol's boyfriend for a long time and very knowledgeable, uh, a collector named David Whitney, who was very close to uh, Jasper Johns and I believe was the architect Philip Johnson's partner. Again, a Warhol expert. Uh, there were other people. I mean, they had some very, very good people looking at the work. But, you know, time marched on and things changed and their availability changed and they brought in new people. And it got to a point where, I, I don't know if it was two or three times a year, but you could drop off a painting at the Andy Warhol Foundation uh, for authentication. But this is where it got complicated. You would have to sign a document basically not holding them liable for their decision. In other words, you're basically saying, you don't like their decision, uh, you're not going to sue them, okay? But despite people signing these documents, they still sued. I mean, the whole thing was a mess. The complication is, Warhol is, it's not that he's hard to authenticate, it's just there are a lot of gray areas. You know, the question was, for instance, he often would sign copies of his book, The Philosophy of Andy Warhol, and if he liked you, he'd do a little doodle of a soup can, right? Maybe he'd sign it or initial it. And then people would say, God, I have an original Warhol. Well, they did and they didn't. Yes, it was created by Andy's hand, but that was not his intent. This was not meant to be a work of art. It's more like a piece of memorabilia. So there were issues like that. Um, he frequently would walk around Manhattan giving away copies of Interview Magazine and signing them and occasionally doing a little sketch on one. Um, there were actual Campbell's soup cans and Brillo boxes that he would sign, maybe do a doodle or not. And people are saying, well, wait a minute, now I have an original Warhol. It's in keeping with his philosophy of being a machine and removing the artist's touch. Well, no, that wasn't really true. And there were, of course, a lot of paintings that were genuine, that for some reason, you know, left the studio, were never recorded in their archives, and people had hung on to, and when he died, they realized, geez, this could be worth a lot of money. And suddenly these paintings surfaced that no one knew about. Again, they could have been gifts. Who, who knows what happened? But it got messy for the foundation. They were spending a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of energy on it. In the meantime, they also sponsored an Andy Warhol catalog raisonné, which, as you know, is a compendium of every image created by an artist. In this case... Uh, it focused initially on its paintings and sculpture. It's still ongoing. They've gone through four volumes. They're up through the mid-70s. And it's a tremendous undertaking, and they've done a great job. But once again, it's not perfect. No catalog resume is perfect. There always are you know, mistakes. It's human nature. Nothing is perfect. So things got left out that should have been in. Things were included that probably shouldn't have been. Um, it's complicated. And a few years back, they the foundation decided to stop authenticating works, as you mentioned. 
So in the absence of a means now to authenticate a Warhol, you've stepped forward with your new business venture. Tell us about your credentials or your experiences with Warhol that lead you to believe you're the right person to take on this mission. Okay, let me just take one brief step backward. The Warhol Authentication Committee disbanded in 2012. And as they put it, you know, they got tired of giving money to lawyers. They wanted to start giving it to artists, which I thought, you know, was in the spirit of Andy's will. He had created a foundation to support the visual arts. And the Authentication Board, which was, of course, sponsored by the Warhol Foundation, found themselves on the end of a number of very expensive lawsuits. The last lawsuit, they claimed, cost them $7 million to defend. I mean, granted, they hired some of Manhattan's most expensive attorneys, and they did win the case, but that's a lot of money. And right after that, what was interesting was it was almost like a domino effect. The authentication boards for Jean-Michel Basquiat, Keith Haring, Robert Motherwell, Roy Lichtenstein, and others decided to close up shop as well. You also had a situation with an artist, um, Alexander Calder, arguably the greatest sculptor of the 20th century, certainly one of them, where there is a Calder Foundation, and you can bring a Calder to them that you think is authentic. They'll look at it. I believe they'll either document it and record it in their archives, but they will not render a decision as to whether it's real or not. They, in other words, everyone wants to stay out of trouble or what they perceive to be as trouble. Furthermore, you now have university professors who had written monographs on different artists who are, you know, bona fide experts. It used to be you could go to them and say, oh, I have a Frank Stella. You wrote the book on Frank Stella. Do you think this is a real one? And they'd be only too happy to take a look, secretly pleased that, hey, I'm the authority. They're coming to me. I wrote the book on it. Well, now even they're afraid of getting sued, all right? So you have this incredible paranoia in the art world. The problem is, at the crux, at the core of collecting art, buying, selling, and trading art, is authenticity. You know, you go to square one. What you're dealing, what you're offering for sale, has to be real. Okay? That's where it all begins. And yet, some of the most important artists in the world and their estates will not take responsibility anymore for this. As to my own involvement... This is something that's been on my mind for a number of years, where I was thinking, man, this will be interesting to see who steps in and takes over for the Warhol people. Given, as you pointed out earlier, Warhol is you know, one of the most valuable art commodities in the world, along with Picasso. It stands to reason. Someone's got to do this. Someone will come forward. At first, I thought, hmm, probably Sotheby's and Christie's will do it, because it's in their best interest. In other words, if someone comes to Sotheby's and says, oh, I have this painting, I believe it's a Warhol, Sotheby's authenticates it and says, yes, it is indeed. Um, and if you want to sell it, you know, we're going to give it a 2 to $3 million estimate. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you know, there's a lot of money there to be made, the auction houses. So I always thought, hmm, they would be the first ones to do this. But I was wrong. It didn't quite go there. And again, I don't know why. It seemed like a tailor-made opportunity for the auction houses to bring in new business. You know, even though the art world's going great guns, it's really only the upper end of the market that's really doing that well, in my opinion. Actually, not just in my opinion. I take it back. I think anyone you talk to will repeat that. They'll say, yeah, it's the trophy paintings. It's, you know, the 1% of 1%.
right. But, um, you know, we, we live in, in, in funny times in terms of the art market. And you would think that the future, one of the f- possible futures of the art business is in services, providing services like authentication to collectors in auction houses and estates and whatnot. So it occurred to me one day, it's like, wow, not to sound pretentious, but I'd like to believe I'm, you know, a bona fide expert in Andy Warhol's work. I've written a number of books on him. I've participated on authentication panels about his work. I've been an expert witness on a prominent court case on one of his paintings. Um, I, I did these art market guides years ago where I rated artists' financial potential, including Warhol. I you know, I've bought and sold his work. I exhibited his work in my San Francisco gallery. I met him. I went to his studio. It goes on and on. And suddenly, you know, it occurred to me, God, over time, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of paintings. And I know the difference. I know what to look for. So it was like, wow, I don't know how the art world's going to respond, but I'm going to do it. Now that you've taken this step, what are your what are your strategies in terms of I guess the ultimate goal is to make it so your authentication is your stamp of approval is recognized universally throughout the art market in the art world. Um, do you have any specific strategies or thoughts on how best to accomplish that goal? Well, yeah, Adam, you've hit on you know what what the key to this whole thing is. It always comes down to credibility. Right now, if you want to sell a Warhol. You either have to have a painting that appears in the catalog raisonné, or it has to have been authenticated. If you go to, you know, an auction house or a dealer or someone, you know, who transacts Warhols, and you don't have one of those two, you know, forms of approval, they're going to turn you away. They're going to say, yeah, the painting looks right as rain to me, but without that, you don't have anything. So my thinking was that it's going to take time. My hope is that through competence and being fair and transparent in my decisions, I will gain a reputation as someone reliable, someone credible, who knows what he's doing, and hopefully down the road, a letter from Polsky's Andy Warhol Art Authentication Service will be part of what I'd like to believe is a triumvirate of authentication methods, either Polsky's, the catalog raisonné, or a stamp from the estate. Uh, or I should say the Warhol Authentication Committee as well. So uh, that's that's going to be a function of time. Can't guarantee it. And in fact, if you go to my website, you'll rule, you know, I had to put down a disclaimer pretty much saying, yes, I will do this, and yes, I'll do a good job, but I cannot make the representation at this point that just because I authenticate something you're going to be able to say, great, you know, I'm off to the auction houses to, to sell this painting. Not yet, but I think with time, if the, if the service gains a good reputation, that'll be the case. Well, Richard will definitely be watching and rooting for you. Um, and lastly, tell us, so let's say I am a listener, one of our listeners has something that they believe could be a Warhol. Uh, what's the process using... Uh, Polsky's Andy Warhol Art Authentication Service if they want to proceed and try to see if they can get the work authenticated by you. Okay, thanks for asking that. Um, The procedure is you go online. Um, You go to www.polsky's, with an S at the end, Polsky's Warhol 
auth, A-U-T-H, dot com. And you'll see my website, and it explains the process, my methods for authenticating, my qualifications, and how to submit a painting. And it's all pretty much explained. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice website. I, I think it's very straightforward, very user-friendly, and um, it's already gotten some use, so it's been exciting. Someone's already come to me with two Warhol electric chairs. So this is going to be interesting. Um, we're just getting started on that. That's fantastic news. Well, Richard, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. We, uh, You're welcome back anytime. We always enjoy chatting with you. And it's uh, Polsky's Andy Warhol Art Authentication Service. Um, Richard, best of luck with it. We appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it.